Welcome back to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am Richard Roper. How's everybody doing out there? The Emmy nominations are in as we speak. Lots of uh, reaction to this. People thrilled about certain nominations. The inevitable headlines about snubs. Who got snubbed? What were the surprises? Who triumphed? All that great stuff. We're going to talk about the Emmy nominations. Also, uh, a major Hollywood star. A big time Young star says he actually hates Hollywood. So we're going to talk about that. And, and big reviews, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. I don't know if you've heard of these movies. They star an ambitious young fellow by the name of Tommy Cruz. Full Circles, a series on Max I want to talk about. An amazing documentary about one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And uh, an Apple TV Plus series that I think is worth talking about. We got all of that on the Richard Roper Show. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. To compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. All right, kids, the Emmy nominations. First of all, people get so worked up about these. And, and I can tell you, knowing some of the people who were nominated today and knowing people through the years, and even in my own corner of the world where we have news Emmys and regional Emmys, it's a big deal. Let's not pretend like it's not. And the cliche about it being an honor to get nominated actually is true. Um, if you get nominated for an Emmy or an Academy Award, it's part of your legacy. It's part of your biography for the rest of your life. You know, even if it's, if you don't win, you know, they'll say three-time Emmy nominee, blah, 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 will be making an appearance here. Or this television series stars, you know, Oscar nominee or Emmy nominee. It's a big deal. There's a lot of programming out there, folks. And, you know, you go back and look through history. The Emmys, of course, like back in the 60s and 70s, I mean, there was a lot of great programming out there, but it was network programming. It was CBS, NBC, ABC, some PBS, and then eventually, you know, Fox, which became kind of the fourth network and eventually started producing original programming, but at first really wasn't considered in the same league as the big three. So, you know, you'd see certain shows and certain actors winning year after year after year. But even back then, there's a lot of great actors uh, and performers who never won Emmys. In some cases, maybe never even got nominated. And nowadays, um, there are so many shows out there. Uh, so many different networks and platforms, and they're all up for the same Emmy. Some viewers or listeners, if you will, here uh, and readers of mine will remember there was a time when when cable first started coming out uh, with original programming. This would have been in the late 90s, basically. Uh, and it was HBO and then Showtime and uh, Cinemax, although that was mostly just uh, what they used to call Skinemax movies. But there was still this kind of traditional broadcast a snobbery, if you will, elitism. So they created something called the Cable Ace Awards. It was for cable programming. So people could win awards for, you know, something they did on Spike TV or anything like that. Uh, those days are long gone. Now it's actually really tough for mainstream traditional network programming to get a lot of Emmy nominations. You'll get something like This Is Us or on the, com uh, the comedy side, you know, Modern Family. Now Abbott Elementary is a huge Emmy attraction, uh, but you know, a lot of shows that are networked that, that will run forever 
Grey's Anatomy and all the uh, Chicago PD type shows and the CSI type shows, uh, Blue Bloods, if you will, they're considered, even though that's all, those are all really good shows and they're solid and God bless them, they're kind of considered stodgy, mainstream, old-fashioned network television and they really don't have a chance up against the White Lotuses and Euphorias and even, you know, when we talk about AMC and, and networks like that, the Mad Men's and the Breaking Bad's and the Better Call Saul's are, are the ones that get the nomination. So I'm just looking through the Variety, uh, Variety.com, give them the plug they deserve about the nominations. And, it, it, you know, here they go uh, in a nomination announcement filled with surprises. They said there was one that was absolutely a given succession would dominate. And wow, succession got 27 nominations, folks which tells you how many categories there are. Now, that also includes technical categories, writing categories, behind the scenes. Uh, it was nominated for Best Drama, Lead Actress for Sarah Snook. Three Lead Actor nominations. That's a record. Brian Cox, Karen Culkin, and Jeremy Strong, all considered leads. We've talked about uh, awards categories before and how it's up to the, sub the people submitting for the awards. You know, Brian Cox was the, the lead of the show for the first three seasons, but spoiler alert, you know, his character dies not even halfway through uh, the final season. So it doesn't really make sense to call him a lead actor. Kieran Culkin, Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong to me is the lead of the brothers. Sarah Snook is definitely the lead uh, in the acting for lead actress, but I would have put Kieran Culkin in supporting as well. But anyway, uh, the supporting cast, which does include Nicholas Braun and Matthew McFadden, Alexander Skarsgård, and uh, even Alan Ruck, who was very good. All those, those are supporting actor nominations. So that makes sense to me. Let's see. 24 nominations for succession. The white Lotus got 23 tons of nominations to Ted Lasso got 21. Uh, the record for a comedy is, was 22 for 30 rock going back to traditional comedy. That was in 2009 Netflix Dahmer monster. Uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer story got 13 nods. Uh, you know, there, uh, the, uh, beef, which is a show I love on, on Netflix. I, one of the best series of the year, got a lot of, uh, double digit nominations. FX is the bear. Uh, even though it's FX is the bear, it's only available on Hulu, but in any case, uh, the bear got, I think 13 nominations, better call Saul, tons of nods. There is a part of me that wants to say the Emmys need to calm down because, Unlike the Oscars, which has a limit of five nominations in most categories, and then for Best Picture, it's anywhere from like seven to ten, uh, the Emmys just go crazy. They, whatever their voting process may be, the convoluted system. So you'll get, for example, for drama series, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nominees. Andor, Better Call Saul, The Crown, House of the Dragon, Last of Us, Succession, The White Lotus, Yellow Jackets. That's a lot of nominees. Uh, and, you know, Again, it's still really cool to be nominated, but at some point it's like, geez, Louise, uh, this is interesting too, because I heard from a lot of people about this. So for best comedy series, you know, you want to talk apples and oranges. You've got Abbott Elementary, Barry, The Bear, Jury Duty, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Only Murders in the Building. Uh, and yes, comedy. And by the way, Jury Duty is that show we talked about, we did talk about on the podcast. That's the... Um, it was the reality kind of prank show where a guy was picked for jury duty, but he was the only so quote unquote real person. Everybody else, including the other jurors, the defendants, the judge, they were all actors. And for the entire series, we followed this guy thinking he was in a, in a real court case and it was really brilliantly done, but I, I don't know necessarily that I would have thought it was going to get nominated for an Emmy. 
but a lot of people I heard from today talking about the bear saying, and for people who have seen, this is, by the way, these nominations are for season one of the bear. Season two just came out. That will be eligible next year. So, for example, Jamie Lee Curtis, who does an amazing guest turn on the bear in season two, people are saying, oh, she didn't get nominated. No, no, she's eligible for next year's season. That will be up. Uh, a year from now. That's why we call it next year. Uh, but, you know, people say, wait a minute, The Bear's a comedy series? Really? Because, I mean, there's so much heavy shit that goes on in The Bear and is so intense and there's tragedy. And I will tell people this, don't blame the Emmys for this. It's up to the studios or the networks, if you will, to decide which category they want to be in. So in other words, The Bear was submitted. And, it, it, you know, you could say it's either the funniest drama or the saddest comedy out there. I would tell you this, my guess, and it's just a guess, is that, you know, there's a strategy there where if you look at the competition, this is not to diminish Abbott Elementary and Jury Duty and Only Murders in the Building, et cetera, but the Bear has a lot better chance of winning Best Series there than it does up against Better Call Saul, The Crown, House of the Dragon, The Last of Us, Succession, which is going to win a lot. Yeah, and White Lotus, by the way, which is in for drama. White Lotus is, is is really kind of in the same vein, although very different source subject material. The White Lotus is up for drama, and you could say that that's a comedy, you know, with Jennifer Coolidge and all the stuff that happens there. And it's a dark comedy, just like The Bear. So the reason The Bear is up for comedy, and uh, for example, Jeremy Allen White is up for lead actor in a comedy series, even though his character is very serious, and there are moments of comedy, but it's a dramatic role. He's up there because that's where they submitted him. So he's up against Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso and Martin Short for Only Murders, Jason Siegel for Shrinking, Bill Hader for Barry. So that's how they come up with these categories. I'm scrolling through here, guys. You know, I know there were some snubs, but to me, there's so many great performances, great shows, great series, uh, beautiful work out there. I don't look at a lot of these categories and think, how did that person get nominated? And if you look, for example, lead actress in a limited series, you've got Lizzie Kaplan for Fleischman is in Trouble, Jessica Chastain for George and Tammy. That was a Showtime uh, miniseries about the real-life country singer. So she's playing a real-life character. Dominique Fishback for Swarm, Catherine Hahn for Tiny Beautiful Things, Riley Keough, who's amazing in Daisy Jones and the Six, which is about a fictional band from the 70s, very much like a Fleetwood Mac type of band and does her own singing. And then Ali Wong and Beef, which I, again, Beef, I think I called it The Beef before because of The Bear. It's just called Beef, by the way, Beef on Netflix. Uh, Ali Wong's amazing in that. So almost every category, supporting actor in a drama series, F. Murray Abraham, Academy Award winner, by the way, for The White Lotus, Nicholas Braun, Cousin Greg in Succession, Michael Imperioli from The White Lotus. And Michael Imperioli, by the way, congratulations on continuing to have a great career after playing Christopher on The Sopranos, which he'll forever be identified with. But he's like a renaissance guy. He's an art collector. He's a musician, and he was great on The White Lotus. Theo James for The White Lotus. Uh, Matthew McFadden, who stole almost every scene he was in in the last season of Succession. Alan Ruck who was Cameron all those years ago and Ferris Bueller and then did, you know, network sitcoms and everything. He's up for succession. Will Sharp for the White Lotus and then great Alexander Skarsgård for succession. When you look at a category like, well, I criticized the me from five minutes ago who said they have too many nominees in these categories. They should have these many nominees. They're all great. I'm not going to read them all to you guys, but I just want to, I just want to bring home the fact that the quality of work is just insane. It really is. Now, they also have cool categories. First of all, when you, the Emmys are going to be on TV in September, if not, if the entire world hasn't gone on strike, 
but when you watch the Emmys, they're going to do these major categories. Uh, you know, the Oscars has 23 categories. All They also have some other, you know, annual awards and grants and things they hand out. But essentially, when you see the Academy Awards, you're seeing all the major categories are all televised. For the Emmys, they are going to do all these big time celebrity, you know, actor, actress, uh, series type awards. But there are tons of other Emmys that are handed out on the sides. We'll talk about that because there are way, 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 way more nominations. And again, I think it's a good thing because they're recognizing so many uh, behind the scenes people. But I just want to give you a couple other things here. Guest actor in a comedy series. So this means somebody who's not a regular on the show does a guest starring role, which goes all the way back to the 50s and 60s, where they'd have special guest stars on uh, you know, the rookie or, uh, uh, the love boat, of course, you know, where it was just a one-time guest appearance or maybe two episodes. So guest actor, this is guest actor in a comedy series. Maybe they're in a couple of episodes. Uh, John Bernthal, the bear, who was in flashback sequences, Luke Kirby for Mrs. Maisel, Nathan Lane, who had kind of a recurring role, actually more in, in only murders in the building. Uh, Pedro Pascal for Saturday Night Live. So in other words, if you're a guest host on Saturday Night Live, you can get nominated and you're up against the same people who are in dramatic and comedic series. Oliver Platt, who's terrific in The Bear. Sam Richardson, who was wonderful in Ted Lasso, also getting, getting kind of a chance to play a little bit different kind of a character than he usually plays. In uh, comedy series, guest actress, Becky Ann Baker, Ted Lasso, Kinta Brunson, Saturday Night Live again, Taraji P. Henson for Abbott Elementary, Judith Light was in Poker Face, it was great, one episode, Sarah Niles, Ted Lasso, Harriet Walter, Ted Lasso. So that's another way for actors to be recognized is if they do a guest spot. So sometimes someone will win an Emmy and people are like, oh, I didn't even know they were on that show. They might have just been on one or uh, two episodes. I do want to talk about this. This happens uh, every year with um, variety talk series where daily shows and weekly shows are against each other. It's interesting this year. It's Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and The Problem with Jon Stewart. And I can tell you right now, The Problem with Jon Stewart's going to win because Jon Stewart is, first of all, they're all great, but it's just kind of more serious. If you haven't had a chance to see The Problem with Jon Stewart, it's great. He'll, he'll do a deep dive on something you might not think sounds like something you want to spend an hour with and then when you're done with it you do uh but if you go down here i'm going through this and again thank you to variety for providing all of these categories guys i just want to mention like they also have for example outstanding production design for a narrative program so that's you know all that production design the sets and the art decoration and stuff so the bear again is nominated for that uh they have um Casting, which I think is a great thing to be rewarded with Emmys. When you think about the importance of casting, the casting directors and how that all happens and finding not only the big stars, but those great supporting actors. We've talked about the fact that like, you know, for example, Ted Lasso, we knew Jason Sudeikis, especially American audiences, knew Jason. He's done a lot of stuff, but we didn't necessarily know a lot of the other actors. Uh, some of them were fairly familiar. Some of them were not. And the casting, you know, in retrospect, you're like, of course, that was the only person that could have played that part. But we didn't know that until the casting took place. Succession was the same way. Brian Cox is a is a, a well-traveled actor. Uh, a few of the other uh, cast members as well. But we didn't know them all that well. And sometimes if you have big stars in those roles, it kind of turns it upside down. So that's it for the Emmy nominations. I'm just going through there. You get choreography, uh, cinematography, of course, which also was uh, honored at the Oscars. On and on the nominees go. They even have, believe it or not, now 
Emmys for Outstanding Commercials. They had the Cleo's were always the famous advertising awards, but they even have Emmys now for commercials. Listen, part of this is because they want the Emmys to be as relevant as possible and to have as wide of a, and big of a tent as possible. So if you have all these categories, it means all those people are going to go to the awards, have people tuning into the awards, buy tables for the awards and all that great stuff. But I, I again, I know people are talking about snubs and surprises and there are definitely some, you know, huge names. I'll, I'll just throw one out. Julia Roberts. I know people thought she was going to get nominated for playing, uh, uh, Martha Mitchell, and she was amazing, and she didn't. Uh, but again, when you go through the list, you're like, well, who would she supplant here? So I say kudos overall to the fine folks who did the Emmy nominations. It, it, it's a reminder that we really are, to use the cliche, in this platinum age of television. You can talk about the golden age of TV uh, in the 50s and 60s, and you can talk about you know some great time and great programming and the revolution of cable and streaming in the 2000s. But right now in 2023, as somebody who sifts through a lot of this stuff, guys, a lot of it uh, for my job, I am consistently and uh, regularly absolutely delighted and impressed by the quality of television, if you want to call it just good old-fashioned TV. Listen, there's a, there's also junk out there, but the writing, the producing, the production values, the money that goes into these series where sometimes they're as expensive as a feature film. All of it is really impressive stuff. So we're enjoying that. Want to make a quick segue here before we take a break and, and get into reviews. This was interesting to me. This is sort of the flip side of a celebrity. So Tom Holland, you know Tom Holland. He's the uh, the Spidey guy. And he's done a lot of actually other really good work. And and he's a young actor, British actor. He's uh, And he's, uh, he's involved with the... Uh, all of a sudden, I go into David Letterman now. He's with the uh, the Zendaya, right? Yeah, you know. So you know when you're the, you know the centerpiece of the MCU, one of the main you know performers there, and he's done some other really good stuff as well. And you're involved in a romance with you know a huge star who people love, and you know you're you're ultra famous. And uh, Tom Holland was on something called the On Purpose with Jay Shetty podcast. I want to give credit where credit is due. The On Purpose with Jay Shetty podcast. We're going to play the actual, the, the clip here. Here's Tom Holland uh, talking about kind of the double-edged sword and talking about how he doesn't like Hollywood. I really do not like Hollywood. It is not for me. The, the business really scares me. I understand that I'm a part of that business and I enjoy my kind of interactions with it. But that said, I am always looking for ways to kind of remove myself from it, to kind of just live as normal a life as possible. Today, doing this is a very rare thing for me to do. Yeah, I definitely think it has been an ongoing thought, which is don't lose yourself. I've seen so many people come before me and lose themselves. And I've had friends that I've grown up with that aren't friends of mine anymore because they've lost themselves to this business. And I just am really, really keen to focus on what makes me happy, which is my family, it's my friends, it's my carpentry, my golf, um, the charity that my mum runs. Like That is the stuff that makes me really happy, and that's the stuff that I should protect. My relationship is the thing that I keep most sacred. I don't talk about it. I, I try my best to keep it as private as possible. We both feel very strongly that that is the healthiest way for us to, to move on as a couple. Um, so I do try to keep as removed from it as possible. Like you'll never see me at an award show that I don't have to be at. I'm never going to a red carpet event that I'm not in the film of, you know, I don't want the attention when I don't need it. Now, you know, 
I know there's going to be, and there already has been some blowback here, and people are like, wow, 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 you know, millionaire, uh, famous, uh, privileged celebrity now says, I don't like, I don't like Hollywood. I don't like being famous, but I, I think he makes some actually some excellent points here. He talks about the business of it and he loves making movies, but he's trying to hold on to just as normal a life as possible. And I think the telling thing here, obviously he didn't get into names, but Tom Holland talks about how some friends of his have been lost to the business. In other words, they've just, they've lost themselves to the business, which means whether or not they changed because of ego or they got involved in, you know, bad behavior or addictive behavior or simply being insulated from reality. And I've seen this in person myself many times, guys, where I see somebody who I maybe met 10 or 15 years earlier when they were very down to earth and all about the work. And now they're surrounded literally by 20 people who are yes people and, and never tell them they're wrong. And a lot of times careers will go sideways because they'll do projects that are all about ego and not about the quality of the work. It's yes, I understand. Again, it's a 0.0001% problem, but if you want to be in movies and you want to act, you know, there are a lot of things that come with it, but until you're in the middle of it, you don't know what you're in for. And people say, well, I knew that they, he knew what he was in for when he signed on to do these movies. You kind of do and you kind of don't. And I also happen to believe that what actors and musicians and athletes owe us is what they do on the job. They owe us the best effort. If they're a basketball or baseball or football player, they owe us to try their best at all times and to dedicate themselves to, to to being the best they can be because we're the ones buying the tickets to see them perform or watching them on TV. And if you're, you know, you're an actor, you have, you know, that same obligation. And certainly if you're any kind of onstage entertainer, you know, you have an obligation to fucking show up on time and give the best concert you've ever given as if you're never going to give it a show before. After that, I don't really believe they owe us anything beyond that. If they want to be, if they want to talk about the issues, that's their right. If they don't, that's their right. Uh, people say, oh, well, you're a public figure. It comes with the territory. And that means I can come up to somebody in a restaurant and ask them for their autograph. I, I actually don't think you do have that right. It's up to you. I think I personally, even as someone who, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, sort of part of the business, definitely a part of the media. I just on a personal basis feel like if I saw somebody whose work I admire, now if it's somebody I've interacted with, it's a little bit different, but if I'm in a restaurant and across the restaurant is a great actor, I don't need to go over there and tell them how it's me, you know, let them have their time. And I've been in situations where I've been, you know, having dinner or drinks or sometimes even an interview in a public place with a huge star. And the reason they have security is because people will just keep coming up. You know, I, I, I had dinner uh, I've talked about this before. There's no big, great secret, but I had dinner in Chicago with Nicolas Cage, uh, who just, and it was an off the record dinner. He just wanted to have dinner and talk movies and life. And we had a great time, but it was at a restaurant in Chicago called Joe's. And we just, you know, we made reservations, let him know he was coming, but it was just the two of us in a booth. And I kid you not on three different occasions, people didn't just come up to the table. They sat down at the table. And just said, oh, I just, I, you know, I know you don't like this, but I, but they still think because it's them that they somehow have the right to do that. And then finally they had to have his security person come in there and stand there, which is embarrassing for everybody. But it's like, Jesus Christ, you know, I can't imagine going and just sitting down in the booth with two people because I've seen one of them work. And, and so what Tom Holland is saying, he's trying, actually, he's trying for his own sanity to not make his entire life about the fact that what he does for a living, yes, makes him very rich and very famous. 
and is very high profile, but it's what he does for a living. So, you know, he talks about being around family and friends and carpentry and golf and doesn't need to go to every red carpet event. I think that's actually a very healthy attitude and I hope he sticks with it. Uh, you see throughout, you know, the entertainment world, trust me, there are a lot of celebrities who might complain a little bit about the paparazzi and stuff and their agents are calling the paparazzi saying, Hey, they're going to be in the park playing with their kid, or they're going to be at the Ivy which you know, having lunch. Uh, but you also see actors and other high profile people who know how to live their best, most normal lives while still acknowledging their celebrities. And that's why, you know, a lot of actors uh, prefer to live in New York City where it's a little bit more. If you're living in New York and you're walking down the street, it's not like you're not going to get bothered. But, you know, it's not the same as in L.A. where everybody's constantly on the lookout for celebrities. And just to double back, we talked uh the Netflix uh, limited series quarterback, which is out right now. And that's the eight part series where they're embedded with Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota. Patrick Mahomes, obviously being one of the biggest stars of any kind in the world. And you see him on TV and he, he deserves all the publicity and accolades. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's living though. You can tell in the series, he's living that high profile LeBron esque life. And, and I think, you know, he has every right to do that. And it's pretty cool. Uh, and then you see Kirk Cousins, who, you know, has played for a dozen years or so in the NFL and is an NFL starting quarterback and is the Minnesota Vikings starting quarterback. And obviously in the world of sport, very well known. Uh, it's really fascinating to see how he lives a completely different life, pretty much, where it's just him and his wife and kids. And listen, we, you know, it doesn't mean that Kirk Cousins doesn't get, you know, approached in public and everything, but he's taking the trash out. And he just, he, and that's, neither one is right or wrong, but it's just like, I, you know, when you watch this, I personally think like, I think I'd rather have Kirk Cousins' life than Patrick Mahomes' life if I were lucky enough to be able to throw the ball 70 yards down the field. All right, guys. That's it for uh, the uh, first part of the show. When we come back, we're going to do some quick reviews. But first, let's talk about Portillo's. All right, it's time to tell you about Portillo's, the greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're ever having ever in your life. Let's talk about the hot dogs and all the famous Chicago ingredients. They'll do it for you, so you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. That includes the poppy seed bun. Then we could talk about the Italian beef, the sausage, and the fries, the salad, the chicken. You name it. All topped up, of course, with the legendary Portillo's chocolate cake. It's fast casual. That means... It's better than fast food. You can sit down if you go to one of the restaurants, but it's still super casual. And you can order anywhere in the country via Portillo's.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Once again, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Ask your friends from Chicago about it. Portillo's.com. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. His fate is written. Shall we write yours, too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written. None of our lives can matter more than this mission. 
Okay, now hitting theaters finally after years of hype is the seventh, I believe, installment of the Mission Impossible franchise. It's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. How's that for a title? Mission Impossible colon Dead Reckoning slash Part 1, right? That's the deal there. And we've talked we've talked about this, but I just want to, you know, again, uh, reiterate that it, it is a great action movie. The plot We've seen before, you know, everybody knows the stories about 61 year old Tom Cruise doing these incredible practical effects stunts, guys. And I have to say it is pretty amazing stuff. One thing we're talking about awards. I really think the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences should have a category for best stunt ensemble. There are some stunt awards in, in other factions, but the, the Oscars in this day and age when stunts are such a huge thing, they always have been. Uh, I think it, I think they'd be remiss. I don't know why they're so reluctant to add categories. It took forever for the Academy to add the animated film category about 20 years ago. And they're always trying to figure out ways to be relevant and to include more people. That's why the best picture nominees, there are more than five because then you can get the popular films in there. But to me, I don't know why you wouldn't include stunts. It's it, they're, it, they're such an integral part of so many movies and, I will say this mission impossible. We've seen the plot a million times about trying to get control of a device that'll give power to control the world to whoever, you know, gains, uh, access to it. It's the same plot of Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny and you know, the plot of the flash. And it's the plot of everything these days. You know, you need to get that thing called the MacGuffin that gives you all the power in the world, but the stunts, the, the, the elaborate extended sequences, whether it's the, now famous, uh, you know, motorcycle jump that becomes a base jump that Tom Cruise did himself, which is insanely great to watch. There's a car scene. And again, we've had car chases through Rome in about four movies in the last year. But the fact they put Ethan Hunt uh, in handcuffs uh, with Haley Atwell, who's terrific, by the way, and, and they're in a Fiat that's about the size of a microwave oven is hilarious. And that takes that to a new level. They do the top of the train thing, which we've seen in a million movies. Every time they do a stunt in the Mission Impossible movies, they try to take it to the next level. And I really do appreciate that. Want to talk about a couple other things. The After Party. Did you guys watch the After Party season one? That was Apple TV Plus. That's the series where start with a murder. Uh, in the first season, it was uh, Dave Franco playing a kind of Bieber-esque pop star. And it's the 10-year reunion of his class. And at the After Party at his palatial mansion, uh, he winds up dead. And then everybody who's at the after party is a suspect. It's very, you know, Agatha Christie, very knives out, uh, even a little bit of White Lotus. Uh, but the cool thing is when they told each story, they told it within a different genre of film. So one person's version of events has them as an action star. In other words, another person's versions of events is a horror movie. So for season two, they do the same thing. There's a wedding the groom uh, is dead the morning after the after party. Then everybody who was at the after party has to stick around as they try to figure out what happened. So, for example, Paul Walter Hauser, the terrific actor, his, uh, he's a friend of the bride. He thinks him, of himself as an amateur detective. So his story is told in a film noir that looks like a, you know, a, a black and white Casablanca type of movie, uh, except for done by like Mel Brooks. And then. Uh, another episode is told as a spoof of Wes Anderson's films. It's done exactly like a Wes Anderson film. Uh, there's a British character. When he tells his story, it's very much like Soderbergh's Ocean Eleven. 
it's really clever. Uh, it's really clever how they do that. So each episode is told as a, in a different genre as we try to figure out who uh, committed the murder. There's even um, uh, the Tiffany Haddish character. Her backstory is told like a 1990s uh, lurid, you know, like a basic instinct uh, type of film. So the the story, you know, it kind of, we don't really care that much who did it. It's all about paying tribute, these homages, these kind of affectionate spoofs of different genres. So that is uh, The After Party, season two on Apple TV+. Plus. Speaking of Steven, Steven Soderbergh, he has a limited series called Full Circle on Max. Yes? We have your son. Thank you so much for coming. We have so many questions. I think it's going to be a day full of questions. I just wanted to ask about the ties between you, your family, and Diana. Something ain't right. I'm scared. They're all hiding shit. You got one priority. Take care of them, and they take care of you. I'm trying to do the right thing. And you should be too. Are all these things connected? Everything is connected. It's six episodes, I believe, guys. And what I like about this, it's very complicated. It tells this story of a kidnapping, again, from three different points of view, but it's not, it's a serious drama. Uh, but what I like about, and at first you're like, I don't know how these stories, they, it gets a little convoluted. You get a little lost about who's who and what they're doing. Uh, but I will say this. I like the fact that it's six episode and it actually ends. Now, could it have a sequel or a prequel? Sure. But so many limited series now are done. You know, they'll do 10 episodes. And sometimes they're really good, but they clearly know they're going to have a second season or they're clearly hoping. So, for example, Silo, which was a series I loved. I'm like, oh, it's ending here. We're in part one, just like we are in the Mission Impossible movie. Part two is coming out next year. So you watch 10 episodes and you're like, shit, I would really like to get some closure here. Uh, with Full Circle, almost every loose end is tied up within this limited series. It's intended to just be a one-off. Uh, terrific cast, Timothy Oliphant. Claire Danes, who specializes in playing these kind of harried New York characters. Uh, Dennis Quaid is in this. Uh, Zazie Beetz, who's terrific. And Jim Gaffigan, who has a, another serious role. And we've talked about Jim, who's such a great guy. Uh, Jim Gaffigan's one of the great stand-up comics of our time. He, he's a classic old-school comic in that he does observational, personal, self-deprecating humor. I have no problem with people that if you want to drop every F-bomb in the world and be edgy and social commentary. He doesn't do that. He does the old-fashioned stuff about life and it's just so great but he's also one of our best character actors guys he's done so many great dramatic roles it's not even a surprise anymore and he's he's, he's great here in this so full circle on max the last thing i want to talk about is goliath on showtime uh if you're a hardcore basketball fan or you're a fan of a certain age you'll remember wilt chamberlain who was uh, maybe the, you know, kind of the original big man. I mean, there was a player by the name of George Mikan back in the day in the NBA, but Will Chamberlain was this sensation. He was came out of West Philly where he scored 90 points in a game. He was you know, a seven-footer when there were very, very few seven-footers in the game, uh, then went to Kansas and dominated in college, and then eventually was playing for the Philadelphia Warriors, then San Francisco, and eventually the LA Lakers. And Will Chamberlain had this he was a larger-than-life presence on the court, off the court. 
The series does a great job of chronicling that. Of course, his big rival was Bill Russell in the Boston Celtics, who often bested him and kind of unfairly led to Chamberlain being labeled a loser when, in fact, Bill Russell was, first of all, he was a team player, more of a team player, but also was on better teams. And so many of those Celtics uh, rivalries with the Warriors uh, and and then later the Lakers, uh, super close games. But Will Chamberlain was also, uh, he was very, very smart. He was one of the first, uh, and they talk about this in the documentary before there were Shaq and, uh, and, and LeBron and, and Michael and all these other huge superstar NBA athletes. Wilt was the first to really promote the Wilt brand. He, he loved the drive in a huge white Rolls Royce. He had these giant Great Dane dogs. He famously claimed to have slept with 20,000 women. That was hyperbole, but he was definitely a guy who enjoyed the good life. Uh, he custom built a house in Bel Air that was literally a giant house. So the doorways were like nine feet tall. So he would never have to duck. And it, you could dive into the water in the in the living room and then swim to the pool outside. I, just, you know, TV appearances and talk shows and promotional stuff. I mean, Wilt was really the original. Uh, and also they changed the rules of the game because he dominated so much. The lanes, the, the, the lanes were widened so that Wilt couldn't just hang around by the basket. And this is sound kind of crazy. Believe it or not, Wilt Chamberlain was coming up in college in the pros in the 50s. Uh, if you got fouled and you shot a free throw, all you had to do was start at the free throw line. You could actually take a running start and drop in a little layup, or if you were Will Chamberlain, dunk your free throws. And they said, okay, we got to stop this. So then the rules changed that you had to shoot the ball actually behind the free throw line. And poor Will, you know, he struggled famously with shooting free throws. He did the underhand Rick Berry thing. He tried everything. Uh, really great stuff. I want to I mention the one thing that's a little troubling here. Uh, I'm going to play you guys a clip, and I wish I had a little bit more of the audio to illustrate my point, but this is all I was able to get a hold of in time. This series hasn't come out yet, but this is from the trailer, and I'm just going to preface this by saying at the beginning of this documentary, we get a graphic that tells us, Wilt Chamberlain's voice in this series is created using an AI program with the permission of the Wilt Chamberlain estate. Wilt's words have been composed from quotations of his written work and public statements. So when you listen to this little snippet from the trailer, when you hear at the very end the voice of Wilt Chamberlain, that's actually the AI voice of Wilt Chamberlain. Take a listen. Wilt Chamberlain invented the world-famous photogenic black millionaire basketball player. Everything about Wilt was excessive. He knew everything and all things about anything. Wilt was the Renaissance man. He was the first rock and roll superstar in basketball. The statistics he put up score 100 points in a basketball game. Average 50 points a game. That's video game shit, man. The amount of women that he may or may not have vetted. Wilt did always like to put up numbers. <laughs> My guess is you have certain preconceptions about me. My guess is, too that you're wrong. So, and again, I, I wish we had a, a little bit uh, more of that. I will tell you this. Um, it sounds a lot like Will Chamberlain. There's a lot of audio in the series, and you can look it up on YouTube of the real Will Chamberlain. But I will tell you this. It's troubling to me. The AI voice, which, thank goodness, they only use sparingly. It sounds like Will Chamberlain, but it doesn't quite. It's a little tinny. There's a little bit of reverb and the inflection is still not perfect. It's frighteningly good. I will say that, but I, I found it to be an unnecessary technique. And again, I know that the estate 
signed off on it. And these are his own words, either from his books or from interviews. Uh, but it's just, uh, you know, I think it just opens the, well, the, the can of worms, the, the, uh, the Pandora's box, if you will, has already been opened. But I found it troubling. You know, there are different ways when the subject is, if you want to have the subject narrate their own documentary, uh, you can have an actor read the words. I mean, you certainly get that when you get a lot of documentaries about old tiny people. Will Chamberlain, by the way, uh, passed away uh, in 1999. So he's been gone for a long time. Um, and there's a little something ghoulish about this AI voice. Uh, but as I said, you could have an actor do it. Um, you know, the Val Kilmer documentary where Val's, you know, had, we know all know has had a lot of uh, health problems. So his son narrates in his father's words, which was actually very touching. And they let you know that from the start. Uh, there are different ways of doing it. I just hope, I don't, you know, I think we're going to see more of this. AI creeping into things into me like it was unnecessary. I gave the documentary three stars. I probably would have given it three and a half if it didn't have this distraction. Uh, in the same vein, too, there was uh, somebody recently, and I think they really did this with the best of intentions, but somebody on Twitter enhanced scenes from, I think, Raiders of the Lost Ark using AI. They say, hey, I'm just added AI to this. And, you know, people were justifiably outraged. So like, this looks horrible. This is, you know, first of all, you're really going to mess with Steven Spielberg's work. And the guy said, listen, I, I don't mean to say that I'm improving. I'm just showing you the possibilities. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe in a class or something, but again, I just, I'm like, just don't give these studios any ideas. It's at the heart of some of the negotiations between the writers guild uh, and the studios right now as it, with this ongoing strike is this use of AI, which of course, you know, they're using AI. They ain't got to pay no actors. Pay no actors. Listen to the South Side coming out of me. But, I, you know, I, it's going to happen. We're going to see more and more of AI and hear more of it. I don't think necessarily it's an improvement. Uh, I think it's dangerous in some cases. So I, I, I still want you to, if, especially if you're a basketball fan, a Will Chamberlain fan, to check out Goliath. Maybe let me know what you think. But uh, I found it to be a little bit chilling and a little bit uh, unnecessary, if you will. Well, we have gone long past my normal... Uh, time allotment. I want to thank everybody for sticking with me. Lots going on and we will be back with a new fresh edition of the Richard Gopher podcast before you know it. Thanks so much, guys.